As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and I'm recording again today from my closet. Um, but as we hunker down and stay home during this pandemic, I'm hoping we can take mini getaways through cooking. That's why um, I've got so many cookbooks that I can't wait to share with you, and I'm just so delighted to cook out of. My guest today is the co-author of several cookbooks. Um, she worked with chefs, to write their story as the co-author of books like Joe Beef, The Art of Living, uh, Kristen Kish Cooking, and Le Pigeon. But her recent book, Alpine Cooking, which came out last fall, is all by her. And it's a beautiful, lush tribute to the Alps. So welcome to the show, Meredith Erickson. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to uh, remotely be here. <laughs> to remotely be here. And it's really, it's really <laughs> too bad because I remember we planned this so far in ahead. I was like, oh, that's the one, maybe this one time you're going to be in uh, New York City. We can have you at our station in Brooklyn. We could have some pizza and it'll be awesome. But to no avail. We, we definitely couldn't have seen this coming. No, we did not. No, we did not. But uh, so you are at home in Montreal right now. Is that that's, right? that's right. Yes, I am. And, uh, but you mentioned you split your time between Montreal and Milan. Yes, um, I, uh, I live um, six months in each city. This is a new, a new thing because mm -hmm. uh, Milano is a great headquarters to the Alps. It's about mm -hmm. you know two to four hours from everywhere you wanna be in the mountains. And so when I was uh, working on Alpine cooking over the six years, um, I spent a lot of time in Milan and uh, I loved it so much. I decided to make it one of my my home bases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, well, um, before we get into all that, what is it like right now, I guess, in your neck of the woods in, in Montreal and in Canada? Um, how, how is this affecting your daily life or those around you, this yeah. pandemic? Yeah, you know, um, thankfully, I'm safe and my family is safe. Uh, where I, I find it you know, I'm just thinking every day, I feel very lucky to live in Montreal, to live in Quebec. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, we have a, a great government in place. Um, everyone is, is quite healthy and safe. Uh, it's a weird moment. You know, I was supposed to stay in Milan a bit longer. I was really excited because um, for Alpine cooking, I was going to do a mini American Alpine tour, which meant Aspen, uh, mm-hmm. Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Alta, Utah, the Berkshires, and very quickly it became... Um, obvious that wasn't going to happen yeah so you know we canceled that um but yeah um everything i'm fine thank you for asking yeah oh my goodness i mean i feel like we don't hear about this too much um because i mean there's so many industries that are just been uh hollowed out you know right now um certainly the entire travel and tourism industry is affected but you know ski areas and ski tourism is actually how many rural economies um you know, stay alive and well. So yeah, America and elsewhere, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because I was it was I was in the Dolomites uh, getting into a cable car the first time I heard about coronavirus because oh. they were making sure that it was only two people per cable car compared mm-hmm. to six, and I was just like, "What is this? Like, is this for real?" You know. And then very quickly, you know, they started closing mountains one after the other. Um, oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. Yeah, I I hear that, you know, some ski resorts where people were going to around the world, like the really big ones, um, may have helped spread it around the world, which is like, oh, my God. Well, of course, you know, any large gathering would. But um, yeah, Yeah. it came out a bad time for the industry. Now, do you think they'll recover? Will they spring back? Or is this really um, Mm. just a, a huge blow? I think that people who people who love skiing are very devoted to skiing and they'll i mean this is what you see with the advent of um outback skiing you know Mm. Uh, people will do whatever it takes even if it's risking their lives to ski (laughs) at any moment and so i'm not stressed about ski resorts um going back you know and i I think at least in italy where i spend a lot of my time it's not the 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 resorts it's the summer locations that are are mostly being hit because ski season you know by the time things started closing up early March, ski season was almost over. Right. But the summer season is going to be almost non-existent for a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I know I feel that, again, if people want to ski, they're always going to find a way. <laughs> well, I love how um, it sounds like you went to, you at least got to do a couple events um, at a ski resort or two for your books for Alpine Cooking. Yeah. Um, how did that go? Okay, so I just, you know, it's crazy looking back. Um, I I had the most awesome fall last year, fall 2019, because, uh, you know, working in this industry at Joe Beef and other Mm -hmm. restaurants, um, you know, I have a a good kind of base foundation of people in the the business. And um, with Alpine Cooking, there were a lot of chef friends who were very excited. And so I did this incredible tour. Um, Mm -hmm. I did an Alpine dinner at Frenchette in New York. I did an Alpine event at Justa in Los Angeles. Um, Outside of Portland, Oregon in Sisters, I did an event in the Subtle Lodge, which was Mm -hmm. super cool in the Deschutes National Forest. Um, A couple events in Toronto, Montreal. It was it was awesome. Um, And so the the tour I was going to do uh, in March, that's postponed and we're definitely doing a tour in December. Yeah. So it's still happening just a bit later. That's great. And it sounds like a lot of collaboration between uh, yourself and the restaurant. So that sounds like, yeah, it's fun. I hope they, yeah, I I hope that we 
you know, get to participate in all these fun things (laughs) sooner than later. (laughs) I actually want to shout out because I, Mm -hmm. um, one of my best events was at Frasca in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. And I have a book coming out with Bobby and Lachlan from Frasca all about Friuli um, in Italy. Uh, It was supposed to come out now this week, but it's now coming out in July. And yeah, and I can't wait for you to see it. It's something I'm really, really proud of. And I think that Bobby and Lachlan have been tremendous leaders during all of this during this yeah. pandemic yeah mm-hmm. and I really want people to get out there and support support them at this time as, as much as they've supported everyone else absolutely absolutely we'll definitely look out for that one coming out um, thanks for mentioning that and it sounds like you've been very busy Meredith um, <laughs> you mentioned that you've been working on alpine cooking for six years and you must have been working on a bunch of other projects and books in the meantime yeah but, uh, yeah when this I was is... when I was working on Alpine I um uh would be there in the winters and the summers and then the fall and spring I was finishing Claridge's which is a book I'm very proud of uh, but the mm-hmm. London Hotel Joe Beef 2 Surviving the Apocalypse which has is way too premonition oh yeah feeling right now um crazy yeah uh Kristen Kish uh yeah mm-hmm. and then it cool but I love that you say that um, you write in the introduction that you wanted to write the book that you wanted to buy, but it didn't exist yet. Um, what made you so convinced that this topic, this Alpine cookbook needed to exist? Uh, because of the, the characters and the quality of the food and the vistas that were in front of me every time I was in, you know, uh, Italy, Switzerland, mm-hmm. Austria, or France in the mountains. I, I basically said, you know, this is some of the best eating I've ever had. And I've been really lucky in my life to, to travel around and, and eat so well. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, when I would write back to friends, you know, whether it's Fred and Dave from Joe Beef or um, whomever in the industry, I would just show, send them pictures, be like, you have to check this out. And everyone was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And you know, if that's coming from skeptics, uh, as much as I am, you know, and, and my friends, then um, I knew there was something here. And it was just something I'm so passionate about that I really wanted to share it with the world. Well, I'm so glad you did, because I'm so I'm convinced as well. And, um, you know, this uh, is not just a, a cookbook, but it's a beautiful, illustrated, you know, phot- like completely like photo rich uh, cookbook filled with history, lore and of course, recipes, and it's the kind of like hearty, uh, meaty food that you just want to tuck into by a fireplace after zipping down mountains and then having like the best sleep of your life. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's, I mean, to say it is looks just fabulous, but I'll admit this is actually a world that I know embarrassingly little about, um, as I don't really know how to ski. So it's quite exotic to me. Um, and um, I love that Diana Henry, one of the um, cookbook authors who wrote a little blurb here, um, she wrote, this is big, bold, gloriously old fashioned and the perfect title to snuggle up with to dream about a, the skiing holiday you can't afford. <laughs> she yeah. wrote that. Yeah. Um, so it's obviously like a, one of the most coveted sort of experiences in the world, like the Alps as a region. But you also write that it's like not all about high end glitz and glamour. Um, what are some misconceptions that we have about this area? Yeah. I think that's the first, you know, and mm-hmm. my my overall um, goal, if you will, of writing this book was to really lay out for people that the mountains are for everyone. 
Mountain mm-hmm. food is extremely humble. These are people and communities that have lived at elevation and in isolation for thousands of years. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a place in Friuli in the you know, the Julian Alps called Saurus, the, the town of Saurus, and they were so isolated they didn't know that the Second World War was going on around them. Um, wow. And, yeah, and uh, so I think that's the first. This is, I think when we think in, an, in North America, when you think of Alpine, you think of also American mountains, which makes you think of Vale or Aspen, which are very expensive and inaccessible in a lot of ways um, mm-hmm. to the average person. But someone like you who doesn't ski, you know, I could come up with a, a route for you for one week on hiking that would completely knock your socks off, you know, mm-hmm. like you would have the most incredible time and it would be within a, a, a totally accessible budget. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, another thing is it's not, it's not about fondue. That's, that's the other thing. I'd be Uh-oh. on a, a, a plane, a plane and someone would always say Alpine, like you mean like fondue or raclette? Well, cheese, yeah. cheese, yeah. Cheese is part of it, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not not the whole story. You know, I think um, in the summertime, uh, obviously, all the cattle go up to graze at pasture at the mm-hmm. cheese huts. Cheese is made in the wintertime. The cattle come down. So this is a, a product that we all know and love from the Alps. But um, there's just so much more going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Has it been like maybe overly like glamorized? I don't know, in movies or something like that, you think? Um, I think that, you know, you just want you when you go on holiday, you want to sit on in a mountain hut and you want to have, you know, the most uh, quintessential uh, meal from that area. It's kind of like when people come to Montreal and they think that like the foie gras or the duck in a can at Pied de Cochon is like the only thing you that's yeah. Montreal is. Right, uh, well, right. that's that's one thing you can have. But um, if that's all you have, I think you're really missing out. Absolutely. Um, so just to kind of like lay down the who, what, where, why, you um, organize this book in chapters. Um, so it's for the countries that you're covering in the Alps. So there's Italy, France, Austria, and Switzerland. Um, I noticed that there's also, I looked on Wikipedia, there's also Germany and Slovenia that are sort of part of the Alps. Yeah, so... Like- yeah, um, I had to uh, I had to set some boundaries uh, in mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways, and so I arbitrarily chose one thousand meters as primary alpine. Oh. There's a lot of people that would back me up on that, but anything mm-hmm. less than one thousand meters, then we put that into the sub alpine category and sub alpine. Mm-hmm. Alps, if you will, that's the Jura in France. That's mm. the German. Alps, which is very small, minute part in Bavaria. Um, That's also part of the Slovenian Alps. Now, I think uh, I I, I hesitate to call them secondary Alps because it seems that they're second best when they're really not. But Mm -hmm. for my my first book, originally I had 300 pages and then I had 360 (laughs) pages because nothing nothing was fitting. and so I had to kind of stick to, this had to be your primer. I'm just bringing you into the Alps. This is what you need to know. And who knows, maybe in the future, uh, we'll go into in some of those other rich Alpine areas. Got it. Well, you bring, you mentioned you had like something like 175 recipes at first that you were just dying to write about, but you had to whittle it down. So um, uh, it definitely is a vast uh, sort of treasure trove of uh 
culture here and recipes, of course. Um, I want to talk a lot more about some of those recipes, starting with some dumplings and also including fondue, if you don't mind. No um, but uh, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back. The James Beard Foundation is a nonprofit with the mission to celebrate, nurture, and honor chefs and other leaders, making America's food culture more delicious, diverse, and sustainable for everyone. And right now, it's working to respond to the dire situation the food and beverage community is in due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Restaurants, bars, and other independent food and beverage operations are often on the front lines of community revival. The majority of culinary community businesses have less than 500 employees. But collectively, this industry generates $1 trillion a year, 60% of which is pumped back into their local business communities. To help bring swift economic relief to these essential businesses, the James Beard Foundation launched a fund to provide microgrants to independent food and beverage businesses in need. You can donate at jamesbeard.org relief. Okay, and we're back chatting more with Meredith Erickson, and she is an author of several cookbooks, but her latest is called Alpine Cooking, and it is a big, beautiful tribute to a region in story, in photograph, in recipes. Um, and I mentioned uh, I have this a little bit of a predilection towards dumplings, and I noticed that there's just so many that um, uh, in this book, there's like, there's a from, you know, everything from Sophie's goulash with speck dumplings radicchio dumplings, uh, spinach and cheese mezzaluna, huckleberry dumplings, apricot dumplings, and they're all very, very different, like, looking shapes, types. Um, There's also a beet gnocchi, for instance. Um, And I wanted to ask you about one of them, which is the hangover soup with cheese dumplings. Yes. And I usually don't think of, you know, dumplings as breakfast, but tell me more about this whole hangover remedy. Sure. So um, I was hung over a lot in the Alps. <laughs> uh, and when I was in Kitzbühel, which is in the Austrian uh, Alps, um, I it was a very, very bad weather. And so I had to sleep overnight at a great hut that I really encourage you to visit called Resterho. Okay. Okay. And Resterho is owned by this guy named Philip this great man who, when he's not running this incredible hut, he's a steward on um, Lufthansa flights. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, which is funny. And he um, he and his chef were incredible. And they uh, we had a lot of grappa the night before. And when we woke up in the morning, this, the oven was on, the stove was on, heating the stove was, was warm, heating up the space. It was a, still a blizzard outside. And he made this elixir with, um, cheese dumplings. And, you know, I think a br- broth when you're sick is mm. always re- restorative, always brings yeah. you back to life. And this was really that with chives on top. And yeah, it was fantastic. Wow. And a very simple sort of cheese dumplings, which are look like um, sort of like patties, would you yeah. say? Yeah, pressed. Yes. They're pressed. Oh, yeah. My goodness. So many types of dumplings. I mean, that's like a very broad category. Um, and now, if you don't mind, <laughs> fondues just sort of has this weird reputation in the States because it's like it was popular in the 70s and everyone bought all these fondue pots that they never used like after the first time. And <laughs> so it's kind of like become this weird culinary joke. But obviously that's a, 
horrible, like sort of misreading about a food, right? Yeah. Or okay. Yeah. <laughs> it had a zeitgeist, but why is it? Why does it um, need to stick around? Or like, what's so wonderful about it? Yeah, I think uh, you know. I swear by the the Le Creuset and their orange flame um, mm. uh, fondue maker. That's what I use, um, and I think uh, I think that fondue uh, has a lot of variations, you know, that I do a typical Neuchâtel fondue, um, but you can, you can mix and match uh, uh, with, you know, Gruyere, you can do Comte, you can, what they do in in the Alps to make you feel the terroir of the place is they'll use a boutique cheese. So something that's so low production that you can't have it anywhere else, which is why you ultimately try to make fondue when you're at home and it tastes nothing like what you actually had because what you had in the Swiss Alps is cheese made from cattle that grazed on flowers blooming in the summer Alps at 3000 meters. Um, And so that's what defines each the the flavor. Uh, Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, you throw a little uh, cherry kirsch in Mm. there, reduce, you know, you can use whatever you want. You, I know I use, bread croutons but if you are uh gluten-free you can use sliced apples mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah. yeah this is this works for everyone do i need to have like the fondue pot or can i just like heat it up in my normal i know it's not as sexy or pretty i feel like if you're gonna go the fondue route you gotta commit <laughs> okay right. i want you to commit you know i want okay. you to- I want you to have some some use some like seventies jams in the background. Okay. Yeah, I, I want can you, do that. I want you hey. to drink half the bottle of wine that you didn't put into the fondue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness, this sounds like a good idea for a virtual hangout because it's like visual, it's interactive, but you can like show people like the stretching cheese. I don't know. I was having a um, virtual potlucks with friends, and it's like, hey, this tastes good, but you're like, can't really interact much beyond that nope (laughs) (laughs) everything is messed up now with like the not getting to see each other and you know i know dip into the same pot of fondue but uh i can't wait to try that soon and as well as like you know some of these are very very humble sounding and some of them are more dramatic um let's talk about the bread soup with chicory and egg now this has yeah bread right yeah, this is a puccia bread, which is a hard bread that you find in the mountains. Um, it usually has like a, a, a some sort of seed, whatever is local, a flax seed, for example, as long as you'll find. Um, and this soup comes via one of my favorite little huts okay. called San Brite. It's about 10 minutes. It's an agroturismo, 10 minutes above Cortina. Uh, so when we're thinking about Cortina, we are, we're in the Dolomites, we're in the Italian Alps, up in that little uh-huh. po- pocket, so, so close to Austria, um, just a little bit below. Um, and so this soup is uh, made from um, the uh, bread, which you basically just puree, buzz in the blender. Right. Yeah, and then a mix of um, uh, cream, and then uh, you do a chicory on top, and then you'll do a nice egg, like a, mm. a soft-boiled egg on wow. top. And it's very filling, but yeah. it's 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 also sophisticated at the same time. I know, right? I, I think it's like a great way to use leftover bread, and you know, everyone's making bread um, these days, and they might have some leftover Um but yeah, it's just like a little bit of pancetta, some diced onion. Yeah. It's easy, but yet I want, it sounds 
just luxurious. And with the association that you just described to me of the huts, which by the way, you mentioned like huts and you, you seem to call the places you stay huts. Is that like the, a technical term or? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so a, a hut is the same as a refugio is the same as mm -hmm. a refugio is the same as a refuge. And basically okay. um, what what happened is, you know, what started out as small little huts that could perhaps be snack bars 60 years ago oh. have realized, wow, we're really onto something here. And oh. so instead of ser serving like, you know, ice cream cones in the summer <laughs> and uh, hot chocolate in the winter, they started with lunch menus and then they started, they would have a wine license. And now there's just really, incredible eating at mm. so many of these refugios and huts all across the Alps. And at the back of my book, I have an address book of all of my oh favorite my spots. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, this sounds just so fascinating. I love that you have like this memory of every single meal. And uh, well, of course you've shared it with us and, you know, for, for safekeeping in this book. Um, but let's talk about, um, there's a lot of like dishes that seem to, cross it somewhere in between a noodle, maybe a dumpling, something like that, um, or bread. Um, there in the Switzerland section, there's a grape and walnut pizzokel. Yeah, pizzokels. Pizzokel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pizzokel is. I've never the, heard of those. Yeah. Pizzokel for people who don't know what it is, is kind of like a bigger spatzli. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like an egg, looks like an egg noodle. Yeah. And it's, it's called pizzokel. And where I had this uh, uh, pizzokel that we photographed for the book is at this great hotel called Hotel Wine Egg in an area called Cloisters, which if if you know the Brits, you would know that, you know, Diana and Charles went to Cloyster. It's It seems to be a, a Swiss, it's a very British um, oh. al Alpine location uh, in terms of the, the kind of people who go. And at this Hotel Weinig, it's my fav favorite kind of hotel, which means it's small, it's privately owned, it's extremely cozy. Uh, mm. And they made this pizzogel, uh for us and it was delicious and it was very simple. That's amazing. So this is just like a signature di dish of this one hotel. Uh, Pizzocco is signature of the region, mm -hmm. um, but the but the walnut grape aspect I didn't see on another menu. Right, right. That looks just so interesting with this uh, beautiful little pan sauces, I guess, on on the bottom um, and grapes. Oh my goodness! I need to yeah. try this. And then, of course, a little bit more familiar to folks is schnitzel. Um, now, this was in the Austrian section of your book, but um, a lot of people associate with Germany. Um, however, you mentioned that it doesn't come from it, it, the roots are are neither of those countries. Uh, right. Tell me a little bit about where schnitzel comes from. When we think about schnitzel, we think about Wiener schnitzel. When we think about Wiener, we think about Vienna. And it is uh, what's known as traditionally an Austrian dish. And if you go to Vienna, um, you know, schnitzel is kind of you know the national dish of Austria. Um, but what you're referring to is in the book, um, when we were doing a research on schnitzel, mm -hmm. we found a menu in the 1100s talking about cotoletto milanese, which if you've ever had uh, a veal, a pounded thin breaded veal, a milanese from Milano, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and so, veal or chicken milanese nowadays you might see. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so we, uh, we actually think from looking back that from the first time we would see it would be from the 1100s and that it went from Italy up 
to um, up to Vienna. Either mm. way, either way, it's delicious. Well, My of recipe course. is delicious. Yeah. <laughs> And in your head note, you mention um, some uh, creature, like a little character who you imagine eating it. Who is that? Who? You, oh, you have, oh, Otsi yes. the, do I talk about Otsi the Iceman? Yes, Otsi okay. the Iceman. <laughs> Otsi the Iceman. Otsi the Iceman is a funny and controversial character. He, um, they found the bones uh, and now I can't remember. It was in the Ostel Alps, which is on the border of Italy um, and Austria. And they found perfectly preserved bones of a man, almost mm-hmm. like he was laying in a coffin. And they found an arrowhead and they found food that hadn't been digested in his stomach. He was extreme. He was pre- preserved in the ice. Two backpackers, the, the ice was melting. And this is happening a lot more as climate changes as climate change is going on. We're finding dead bodies kind of all over the Alps, which is leading to these great murder mysteries. It's actually fascinating. <laughs> Otzi, they found perfectly preserved, and they called him Otzi because of Otztel Alps. And he has now been um, put into kind of placed back, like as you would do uh, with it with the um, what am I thinking about with Egypt with like the pharaohs? They kind oh, of put yes, him back. The mummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they—he's now in a museum, I think, close to Bolzano in Italy. And uh, Otzi the Iceman, people, yeah, they people are fascinated by him. How did he die? People think mm. that he was in combat with someone else, and it gives us a glimpse back into uh, how the Alps used to be. And it turns out it wasn't so different than mm-hmm. it is now. Yeah. Well, maybe it was a skiing accident. I don't know. Yeah, we, we didn't find his skis, but it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they did know that what he was eating, he was eat, he died in the summertime uh, mm-hmm. because he was eating a lot of fresh plants. Oh, okay, um, fine. But yeah, but the, the reference to how the context of how you're bringing it up is that we were talking in the head note, we say schnitzel is so definitively yes. alpine. It's something that Otzi the Iceman, you know, could be imagined eating. Yes, yes. It sounds like there is just this overarching synergy between all these countries that are part of this alpine region that is worthy of, you know, its own, obviously, cookbook, Um, uh, as you've so beautifully uh, illuminated. Have you seen any other, I guess, projects that uh, bring about this whole region in celebrating its cuisine or maybe culture? No. Or is it hard? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, there's a book by a, a great Austrian chef that I love. His name is um, Andreas Dollerer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, his book roughly means cuisine alpine. Oh, um, but okay. it's it's about his restaurant, Dollerer, in Galling in the Salzburg Alps. Um, it's If you love this book, I think you should buy his book also. It's more mm-hmm. site-specific. Site it's a bit more chef-y, but he's an incredible person. And you should definitely go go to eat at that restaurant um but yeah it's a it's a thing you know and uh i'm hoping i'm working with a production company i'm hoping to kind of make this some sort of a a series i don't know what that looks like yet but uh yeah i'm really devoted to this area and i think it's it's going to be a big part of my life for a long time yes absolutely well i hope that you get back to milan and start bringing us some more recipes and more more uh delicious uh food or cookbooks i'm working um, on it i'm working on it as well yeah wow well thank you so much meredith it's been such a pleasure to hear your 
ex- enthusiasm and endless stories and tales from the Alps for this uh, episode. And I hope everyone gets their hands on this book. There's just so, so much more to it that we only just scratch the surface of. Um, as you might imagine, the apps are very vast. And this cookbook is just a delicious... I mean, I'm looking at these dumplings. Again, another one that you I You love mention. the dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> and new, exciting dumplings to me. Um, but yes, thank you so much, Meredith. And all the best to your next projects. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Jessica, our engineer, and everyone at Heritage Radio Network for making these shows continue. And uh, keep listening. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.